Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I dress like your fucking drunk, divorced <laughs> uncle who was nice to you when you were a kid and now you're not sure if he loves you anymore. That's what oh, no. I look like. Okay, that guy definitely has a catchphrase. What's your catchphrase? Get fucked. <laughs> better than I was going to be. <laughs> I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer. writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today we have Sasha Fletcher. Sasha Fletcher is the author of the novel Be Here to Love Me at the End of the World, a book of poems, several chapbooks of poetry, and a novella. His work can be found both online and in print. Welcome, Sasha. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Perfect pause there. Thank you. You're Um, welcome. Sasha, we're so happy to have you on. Sasha's our friend, um, full disclosure. So this is going to be fun. Holdy. And full D. Oh god. Yeah, not partial. Full. Oh all, no. Full. Yeah, no. We <laughs> can't. We can't obscure one. the disclosure. Right. Uh, um. But before we get into it, Sasha, please read to us from your new book. I would be delighted to. Eleanor can't sleep. She turns over to Sam and says his name, Sam, to try to wake him up. Sam is a shitty sleeper and needs all the sleep he can get. This doesn't matter right now, though. It's an extraneous detail, so don't worry about it. Someone needs to watch over their loved one's dreams. I'll say that much. Meanwhile, Eleanor is saying, Sam, louder and louder. Sam rolls over onto her. This solves nothing. This solves nothing, says Eleanor, while Sam lays flopped on top of her. She says, Sam, I cannot sleep. Even if Sam could fall back asleep again, he could not do it if Eleanor was upset was up and upset because he would feel terrible for her because she loves to sleep and it breaks his heart when she's sad. It just breaks his fucking heart wide open. So Sam gets up. Sam gets everyone a nice glass of ice cold water. Sam puts on an old cartoon where this clown goes into a mysterious cave while the snow falls and a beautiful woman is in a glass coffin and then a witch flying on a mirror puts her mirror over the clown like a net and then the clown's a ghost. He's in love. Then everything's chilly. It's cold. It's frozen over. There's nothing but the snow. They watch a cartoon where a sad little ghost sits in a graveyard looking at pictures of animals till the other ghosts wake up. They try to get the sad little ghost to go around and spook everyone. There are a bunch of ghost planes in the sky, dive-bombing homes for miles around, screaming boo at everyone they hit. But the sad little ghost sees no future and any pain beyond his own. And he goes out to make friends. But everyone is terrified of him due to him confronting them with not only their own mortality, but the possibility that heaven is, if not a lie, at least a accessible. Then he meets a skunk and the skunk freaks out. Now he's in the tub. He's drying out on a log. He's weeping. At this point, the other ghosts hear his tears and they pick him up. They fly him into town. He's weeping. They drop him in the middle of a dance. It's a Halloween dance. There's a pretty girl dressed like a ghost. Then everyone dies. Then there's a mouse who is in love with another mouse. He works all day making shoes so he can buy a nice dinner for this mouse he is in love with, but it isn't enough. 
He has to wash the dishes to pay for the rest of the meal. And he is so embarrassed. He is weeping and washing the dishes because nothing he can do will ever be enough. When all of a sudden the mouse he is in love with shows up and then washes the dishes right beside him and kisses him on the cheek. Then there's a pig dressed as a cop out in his cop car and he gets shot in the face by a bandit. He does not find the bandit, so he goes out to get an ice cream. While in line, he gets shot in the face again. He arrests the whole store. He throws it in a sack and drags it over to prison. Everything goes black. Everyone who worked on those cartoons is dead now. They've been dead for so long. Their children are dead, and their grandchildren are dead, and even their memories are dead, and they died drunk and broke, and they put their whole lives into things that will outlive us all. When the dead animators' wives, who are also dead, come home, it just takes their breath away. Someone put a fresh amaryllis in a beautiful vase. It is three feet tall, and it keeps growing. It is blooming. The whole room is full of flowers now. In the next room is death. Death wears a white suit and white cowboy boots and a white bolo tie and such a fine white hat and has a horse's skull perfectly clean for a face. Death loves it here because it's so beautiful. The flowers are everywhere. I hope we never have to leave. One day the angels will come. One day the plants will be watered. One day we'll all have enough money and the mighty will be thrown from their thrones and the hungry will be filled with good things and the rich will be sent away empty. One day this will all be different. One day the sun will start staying out longer and longer until one day the sun started staying out for longer and longer. Bit by bit, the mountains of long accumulated snow were melted into rivers that would one day drown us all given half the chance. Birds started singing. Small children emerged from their hibernation alive and, I guess, well. The light coming off the buildings felt somehow alive. You could almost hear Prospect Park waking up over the subways and buses and sirens. 32 babies were born the second the snow finally melted for good. And then, suddenly, all our hands were clean. There was no official tally for how many people or buildings or buses or cars or plants or books or dinners or food carts or pets or trees or dreams that the secret police had black bagged. But on the websites devoted to cataloging reports from the Internet, it was estimated to be anywhere between 400 and 2000 that winter. Then the secret police came for winter. In the end, they'll come for you, too. Oh, um, my God. My first question is, Sasha, what the hell is wrong with you? Uh, everything <laughs> it, it, it all is all of it every bit uh, that's my long way of saying like oh wait i said that was my long way of saying that's my <laughs> short oh, God, way i can't wait for this question <laughs> <laughs> that's that my short way leading <laughs> of just really wanting to know because i i feel like like i've i've known and been aware of you for years so i feel like i could like trace some of this back to like you know, your earlier work and like readings that we've been to, you know, like, um, but I want to hear from you, like where this came from, you know, like where did this idea come from? How did you set it in motion? What the hell, man? This book is such a weird book. Um, so I'd written a few drafts of it. It started from these a few like really small pieces of flash that I wrote in probably 2008, 2009. Then about 2015, I turned into a short story and someone had asked me for some things and I sent them an excerpt from this Western I'd been writing. And I sent them this, what I thought was a short story and um, the Western excerpt they thought was a beautiful self-contained piece. And the other thing they were like, why the fuck did you send me the first chapter of a novel? Um, <laughs> At which point I realized like, oh, this is this is a much bigger thing than I thought I was working on. And I came up with this like really I couldn't get the one part to be a complete story. So I concocted this like really insane structure for a novel. It was going to mirror late period David Lynch. Like there was going to be a story about a couple and then there's going to be some kind of like weird, crazy interlude. And then there was going to be another story about a couple, but it was going to be the same couple in the way that like. In Lost Highway, everything gets weird. And then all of a sudden, like Bill Pullman is inside of Balthazar Getty and moving in his body. <laughs> and then like in Mulholland Drive. And like, I, I was like, oh, this will be great. And I just kept writing. And I was like, this is so stupid. Like, why did I make so much work for myself? Like writing a book is so much work. 
why would I make this system for it that doesn't make any sense? So I got rid of all of that. I threw all of that out. So this is now the second or third like full draft of this book that's been tossed. Um, and eventually I got to this point where I people would ask me what I was working on and I would describe the end of the novel at the time, which was uh, when Sam and Eleanor, they, they, the whole, originally there wasn't, there, it wasn't the president, it was Warren Beatty. Um, and it was going to be called Warren Beatty is a sad, sad man. And uh, <laughs> they were going to like, they, they, they got this idea from watching Bonnie and Clyde. And then all of a sudden, like they're in Bonnie and Clyde. And they're, they're like, they're like just having this like fun little like conversation with where, where they're pretending they're Bonnie and Clyde. And they're talking about how like, you know, like, oh yeah, we robbed that bank, all the money's in the trunk. And then like the police show up and like they did rob the bank and all the money is in the trunk and they drive around America robbing every bank in the country and then funneling the money back to Warren Beatty and Warren Beatty <laughs> uses the money they rob from the bank to buy up and forgive all the debt that the bank holds. And through this way, they become public enemy num- number one. And they kill a bunch of cops because the cops are there to stop them and like try to kill them. And they have this sacred duty to like liberate America from debt. And then the ghosts of the cops just follow them around until they end up in Ohio. And like that's this is just like the last 20 pages. And that's the part that I would describe to people at a bar. And I realized like I've written a whole book that like. All I'm doing is talking about the last 20 pages, which like I'm, I'm not sure how interested in them I am. So I cut that. I made that like a little like movie that they watch one night. Uh, and I just started writing the fun part, which was like, what happens when it's just two people? It's in a world that just gets stranger and stranger and stranger. Um, and you, and, and they just love each other. Like what, that's the story. And how, how does that, how do you keep sustaining a thing like that? And how do you move it forward? Are movies typically an important like part of your process? If you're writing, oh, absolutely. is that like, usually a big touchstone for you like structurally or even just in a generative way in in the sense that i think that that structure structure is something that exists in all 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 media and all forms of art and i think that the easiest thing to do is just take the structures that feel like they'll fit best like Anytime, anytime that you're writing, or at least that I'm writing, I come up against all these situations where like my idea, like I'm not equipped to actually convey the ideas that I'm trying to equip Mm -hmm. to, to, to convey. So like what, what exists out there that has done something like this that I can look at to try to get a better idea of how to structure it. Mm -hmm. And I feel that we can get this from movies, from, from paintings, from, from anything. Like you look at how, any structural problem is approached by an artist, you can kind of try to see how they did it and you can see what lessons you can take from that in terms of craft. Were there novels that were touchstones as well for, oh, for I this mean, book? I feel like this book pretty clearly like rips off Speedboat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's like a formless novel about people like struggling to get by in New York, like that whose only real touchstones are like the seasons and people come in and out of lives and, and they appear and they don't appear it flashes throughout history. Yeah. Speedboat was, if I hadn't read speedboat, I don't know that I would have ever figured out how to write this. That's such an exciting feeling though. Finding that book that feels like it can unlock something for you and, and makes a project possible. I've, I've, I've had that feeling before where you pick something up and you're like, God, I don't know if I can do this, but this does allow me to realize that I can do something it's powerful. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, the final form of the novel where you were letting things get stranger and stranger and stranger while they, you know, are in love and just trying to figure out <laughs> how to get through all of this. How did you come up with, cause as, as I'm hearing you talk about the different iterations of the novel, your, um, penchant for a- action is like wild and, your memory for it. I feel like anytime I'm trying to explain one of my plots, it's like (laughs) someone was sad and they ate a lot (laughs) and like things smelled bad, you know, but like you have so many, there's so much action. How did you like come up with those things getting stranger and stranger and stranger? Like, is it, is it sort of like you were following things or like trying things or like, can you describe like how you allow yourself to write something like that where things just get weirder and weirder? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think a lot of it comes from having 
such a background in in poetry, having gone from an MFA in that and having having published a lot of it and and spent so many years just fully immersed in it. Like for the most part, a poem is written one one line after the other, and each line dictates where the next line goes. And it's the only way of writing that's ever really made sense to me. Um, I remember like in in middle school or high school when they would try to like teach you how to write a short story, they would have you write out like the outline of what happens in the story. And then you would write the story. Once I knew what happened, I never really saw like why I had to write more. That was like what happens is the story. So finding a form that allowed me to feel surprised by what could happen next felt important. Cause to my mind, if something doesn't surprise you as the writer, there's no way it can surprise the reader. Like if you cannot become convinced of the thing that you are saying, as you say it, I don't know how you can convince the reader of the thing. And we owe a reader something to pay attention to. Who's your, as you were writing this, was there like someone like your dream reader that you were thinking about, even if that person never read it? I don't know. I mean, to an extent, I feel like I'm writing the books that I really want to read. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like, like it's, it's, I mean, it's, it is like a, a shitty and self-indulgent thing to say, but like no, I'm writing no, no, these books no. because these are the, but these, this is like, this is the art that I want. Like uh, I remember someone was asking me once like for, for crafts, not like craft tips, but like, I don't, I don't really, I, I don't truck much with prompts, mm-hmm. but for me, what has always helped me when I get stuck or lost is looking at looking at like a story that I really love. And this is, this is also this, this, like, this is a, this is a, like a a craft thing that also, again, requires like a little bit of like self-delusional arrogance. And like, so you read something that you really, really love and you look at it that exemplifies like everything that you would want to do. You look at it and you think like, how does it like, is there any way that this lets me down? Is there anything that I would do different? And then you write the thing that you would do different. And so like you look at a story that where you don't like how one thing happened, you just write the thing that you wish had happened in it. And then you just continue writing towards that. And by writing the thing that you wish someone else was writing, you can write the thing that you're supposed to write. Absolutely. But I want you to tell me how you maintained the energy as you wrote, like, because there, it just pops off the page, right? Like this book is like yelling right at you. And, um, I, I just, the energy is just like, it's just there. It's just so visceral. And so when you're writing, are you doing it in short bursts? Are you? Yes, absolutely. It like- it's short bursts. Okay. Um, it's short bursts and it's constant rewriting. The, the biggest issue with writing a book like this and why maybe no one, I, I don't like, I'm probably going to keep writing this way and it's going to kill me, but, um, Whenever anything new is written, the whole thing, because there, because it, its structure is like one sentence at a time, the whole thing then has to be gone over to make sure that what is done sort of like aligns with what has come before so that new things will need to be sort of worked back into it to make sure that there's a through line for everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because without, without like the bones of plot to sort of drape all the sentences that we want to write over, like when the sentences have to pr- provide the structure, the bones always need to be kind of being relayed. Mm-hmm. If that if that metaphor didn't get too <laughs> fucking muddled, is the but like yeah, is, I, I, to make sure you stick the landing, you got to make sure that every every part every part of it is moving in the right way. And so, mm-hmm. it took like four years to figure out how to keep going in a way that was productive. I really, I think, a, a, as a writer back myself into a corner early by trying to write everything to that register because mm-hmm. it was really successful with poems to like go into a bar and shout love poems at that register of people that you would really get their attention. Mm-hmm. And yep. I am a firm believer. And I, I learned a lot of this, Lindsay, from you, from <laughs> you and Amelia, especially during when I was with you guys at, for parts of the dollar store tour, mm-hmm. just watching the way the two of you perform is one of the epitomes of like what that can be. And it really showed me that like you owe an audience and a reader, something to pay attention to the audience or the reader does not owe you their attention. Mm-hmm. So wanting desperately to like have that attention, uh, 
this is just the pitch that I in that feels the most productive in that it does always have to move forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you are working with an editor who you know is dealing with maybe more conventional literary fiction typically or just or just literary fiction not pitched at the same register that you're describing Sasha was the editing process a winnowing down of some of that kind of presence of the narrator and and reframing and kind of like attention grabbing in the best way of the of the of the reader saying hey i'm still here hey i'm speaking to you and there's a kind of there's a kind of earnest call throughout the book over and over again you know that reframing i was wondering if it seems like linked to what you're saying from you know the fact that you're a poet that you came up you know speaking these poems uh in bars and so on and so forth but what was editing this kind of work like i feel like it would be so interesting for for you on your end but also your editor to kind of work with with fiction pitched at this register the editing process was was really beautiful and painless um i think part of it was that my editor really trusted me i think another part is that like i i did spend four straight years like working on getting this thing to be what it is and just editing it constantly my editor was incredible at sort of finding the moments where I got in the way of the book and pointed those out to me and was like, I, you, you can't, this can't exist the way it is. If you want it to keep moving forward, this part can't exist the way it is. If you want it to keep moving forward and sort of pointing out to me what was getting in the way of everything. And so I would just keep rewriting those sections and showing them to her and being like, Athena, did I get it right yet? Athena, did I get it right yet? <laughs> and then eventually she'd be like, yeah, no, you did it. Holy shit. <laughs> you did what i told you to do yeah which was which was not do it wrong (laughs) uh no my my editor uh athena bryan was was fantastic she loved this book so much and believed in it so much and really did everything she could to kind of get it the whole thing to sing with your previous books of poetry was the editorial process similar did it feel did it feel very different? I mean, I feel like this is, you know, this is your first novel. Did the whole process feel very different or did it feel like very familiar just based on your experience with your past few books? I mean, I I would say like the copy level edit was definitely, it's, it's very different doing like, you know, micro press poetry and, then having to have your work fact checked and copy edited and getting into arguments over like what the internal, what the like specific grammar of, of the structure of the book dictates sentences to be. I got in oh one God, yeah. fight about like, I got in one fight that they wouldn't let me win uh, involving a comma that they kept putting in there that shouldn't be in there. And it's in and, there now. Uh, it's in it's in the book. It shouldn't be in there. Um, okay, when that when the excerpt with the part in it was published on Granta, um, I got it in the right way. <laughs> it's it's I don't remember what page. It's called it's Double Date, right? Yeah, it's called Double Date. Uh, but the specific line is this part where um, they're talking about like the bombs burst, like the 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 bombs bursting and the workers of the world united. And the, and those are their the, their names, and it's the workers of the world, comma united, and then they just like put in a piece of punctuation that wasn't acknowledging that the workers of the world united was supposed to be like a proper name. It was just like structured in a way where where they were going by the fact that there was a comma in it and not. But anyway, it doesn't matter. This is just this is the these are like the little like horrible fights that you dig yourself into as a writer with your copy editors. I love this shit. I, I think it's awesome, and it makes so much sense for a poet to be having those kinds of fights yeah right you know like it's i actually i i'm i'm all for it (laughs) when when ugly girls came back with their with the copy edits oh my god i uh which is there's a lot of bullshit in there that i you know um i i didn't mean bullshit i meant bullshit on my part like there's a lot of like uh freedom in there and um 
And so the copy editor was kind of like, okay, well, you, you know, you have to like, this is a run on sentence or, you know, all those rules. And so I, I just kind of accepted all of them because it was my first novel and Emily Bell saw it and she goes, you need to step more. You should have yeah. stepped way more. So I'm sending this back to you and you need to step way more. And, um, which means to reject the changes in case anyone doesn't know. And um, it was so wild to, to have that kind of editor that was like, no, no, no. Like, this is how you, this is how this novel is. And this is the way, you know, this is the rules of this novel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the copy editors sometimes are just kind of baffled by it. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I love that you dug in about a, about a comma. Well, I, didn't, I, mean, I didn't get, to, I didn't get to win that fight, but I did get my version in the world. So yeah. it's out there, it sounds guys. like you had a, a great relationship with your editor and you had someone that would really believe with believed in you and the book at the press, which seems just like invaluable. And it's incredible. Like I can't imagine what it would feel like to have had any other way done with this book. Like, I, I don't know that anyone would have made it if it hadn't worked out the way it had. Right. Can I ask you like a terrible question? Please. That you, you never have to answer. You can tell me to eat shit, but um, <laughs> as a poet, eat shit. Eat shit. <laughs> Done. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just want to know what was the urge to write a novel? And people always, you know, people give short story writers shit all the time. Like what wins the novel wins the novel. But um, I just wanted, I wanted to know for you, like what was the urge there? Oh, so I, I was always writing fiction and poetry and, and I was writing a lot of prose poems and in grad school, there were a lot of people who didn't know what a prose poem was and they, kept showing me like where my line breaks should go and and columbia really likes to sort of segregate genres so they don't want poets doing anything with fiction they don't want fiction writers doing anything with poetry Why? um so i kind of paused writing fiction for a few years and that felt really weird and i published this grain ghost chapbook of like cowboy poems and um, at the time, my, my first press was uh, Mud Luscious, and they did the novella um, When All Our Days in a Bird Marching Bands Will Fill the Streets, and we will not hear them because we'll be upstairs in the clouds, which is the last time I write a book with a 27-word title. Um, <laughs> just, just like 15 to 20-word titles you know, and out for me. Thanks. Uh, he, he, Jay Tyler, reached out and was like, hey, would you ever be interested in turning this into a novella? I always wanted to. I always wanted to try to take that world and like live inside of it and see what it looked like. So I did eventually write a Western and we just couldn't sell it. Uh, and so I kind of tabled it. But at that point, a novel had kind of, I was always interested when writing a poem, like when writing poems, I would write, I was, I was interested in writing books of poems. I was interested in, in world building and like having things that spoke to each other and like across different poems, having just sort of like recurring images and, and links and themes and like continuing lines and storylines. And that all just ended up kind of leading towards novels I don't really I can't figure out how to write poems anymore so I'm just trying Mm. to write novels that do what I always tried to do with poetry how long have you not been able to write poems I haven't written a poem since 2015 you're kidding what the hell I think of you as a poet I still yeah, think of you. No, as and, and I th- I I would prefer to be thought of that way. I don't think that I know how to I I only I'm I'm writing these novels like a poet. Like I'm writing one line at a time to evoke an Im- to like produce an image that evokes a feeling. That's the whole thing that I'm trying to do. That's what I tried to do when I wrote poems. That's what I'm trying to do as a novelist. I just want to create for me, it ends up being like, I have to find the voice. And once I find the voice, I have to figure out who's speaking. And then I have to figure out like what the room that they're in looks like. And then from there, it goes on to the world. So it goes voice and then character and then world. And then those three things have to find a way to coexist and rub up against each other to produce what amounts to a story. And that's the only thing I really know how to do. We need like a new word for it. It's like a plotted it's, poem. I, I just write a, uh, they're just books. It's a book. <laughs> just books. I'm just writing books. Like I call them whatever you want. You know we, how we, humans are. We like yeah. You, you just there's like there's pictures that make I describe pictures that make you feel <laughs> things. Like that's fucking. I don't. That's all I want to do here. 
earlier, Sasha, you were saying, you know, you were, you've kind of alluded to it several times, kind of writing, you wrote this novel line by line, you were thinking about it in that way, similar to the way you were writing poetry. And you mentioned that, you know, your approach was, was without plot. Was that because of, was that like a conscious decision you made or did it just organically arise out of the fact that the way you approach this novel was just how you know how to write from, from approaching your poems line by line, creating an image line by line, like you were saying, or I just, I'm so curious about like a conscious decision to say, "Mm, I'm going to, I'm going to use momentum differently. I'm going to not approach plot in a conventional or easily recognizable way, at least. Um, I'm just, it's such like a brave choice, honestly. And I just, I was curious to hear more about that. I think, I think part of the reason it took me four years to write this book was not being, was not give, like, it took a very long time to give myself permission to consciously reject plot, mm. to excise it, to cut it out of the book, wherever it, wherever it like lay, keep it in a pile in the yard and like burn it and then try to try to build the thing anew. Um, and like, there is and there isn't a plot like there are storylines that recur throughout every the characters have emotional arcs like it's not plotted in the sense that it it's not an like it doesn't work as an elevator pitch you know like right there's there's not like that traditional like satisfaction which i think a lot of us are so sick of you know and there is no rising and falling action the action just it's it actually just exists in a state of on right which you kind of know from the opening pages, there's the, there's a line early on about, you know, you know, I'm going to tell you what you need. And I'm, you know, if I forget things, I'll add it in. I'm obviously paraphrasing wildly, but like that, that structure is set from the first pages from the narration. I mean, it, it's there, you know, what's coming. It's not, it's not a surprise. And then. Yeah. I like, I apologize to the reader. I want them to know that, that whatever like they don't like about the book is not the fault of the characters. It's my fault for telling it wrong. Like the story is a good story. If it's wrong, like, I'm sorry. That's my fault. That it's so interesting though, because I actually was texting Lindsay this week about this, that kind of like, that to me is like a self-deprecating, like bar voice. And that was before you came on. That was like tonight. I'm saying like, I didn't know you were going to bring up reading poems at bars, but like, I think of that as like the charming, like, I'm going to fucking win you over. Like, I'm going to win this interaction type of not like, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of how to, how to articulate what I mean. It's just, there was such a, a quality to that voice that felt human and new and you know speaking it it really did feel like a spoken book in in a way that i mean not as a pejorative but as like a quality of being alive yeah Yeah, i'm I'm terrified of them doing an audiobook and not letting me record it like i just i feel like that that would be like a blasphemy like no like i i don't know how someone else is supposed to read this and have it sound right no that it's impossible yeah no like it, it's the, the sentences are written like exactly as long as i can go without a breath so like i know how long they're supposed to be <laughs> was that voice something you felt like you had to give yourself permission to include uh you know like that in that intrusive like voice that's sort of like explaining things or telling no things. and i'm gonna say no because like i i remember growing up and reading the just so stories and reading the kind yeah. of fairy tales where they would have like the narrator that would be like trying to put their arm around you at like a around like a campfire or, like in a room in a small room and be like i want to tell you this i'm telling you this this is a story that's for you like mm-hmm. the intimacy of that narrator creates a relationship between the reader and the book, and I mean, like, granted, like you can you can like choose to reject it, but the offer exists, and I feel it's important to offer that. I love that, and that's how I know to do it. Man, I never considered that the importance of offering that. I just don't think about writing in the same way as you at all, and so it's interesting to hear anything you're saying because I just can't relate <laughs> to any of it. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think, I think, no, I mean, that, no, I think really, I mean, really that with big love. Comments, I don't mean but, that with like, yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, 
I also came off of this like like from art school and with with parents who are artists. So my dad was like really into geometric minimal abstraction. So it was all about like process and how form and function had to be the exact same thing. And so for me, like, wait, can you explicate that a little bit more? What does that? Yeah. Mean? So so that like in, some examples are like there, there's this great painter Robert Ryman, and he would like take a brush and he would dip it in white paint and he would move the brush across the canvas. And however much paint was on the brush would dictate how long the line would be. And the whole painting would just be like lines like that. And they're these really breathtakingly beautiful paintings, but you know that they're constructed within these like set material limits that dictate how it works. So the idea is like, what do you want to, what do you want to say and how do you want to say it? And then those two things have to be done like in the same breath, you have to be saying what you want to say in the way you want to say it. And the whole thing has to be done that way. And that gives you like sort of a, a purity of intent and a kind of grace. Holy shit. I love that. Tell us more art things. <laughs> <laughs> like I think about that a lot when I read Joy Williams, like Joy Williams is someone who seems overtly confirmed, con- concerned with grace mm-hmm. and, and in having these things that move on a true line towards their own end. Wow. Damn, and I, I find I find that like I find I find that really beautiful in art because it, it can show the reader if if it's the kind of reader that that can read that story and see that that's what's happening. It can show them that like that is how a life can work. Your life moves in the way that it moves like all, all of us like our, life sucks. And then like we see a thing. We're like, oh, right. This is just what life is like. It's a thing that moves. I don't know. I I think it's so one of the best parts about this show is having people on who approach writing so differently than Lindsay or I do. Not that we approach it the same way. Hell no, not like her, obviously. But, same um, Alex. Okay. Same bestie, but um, there's just so many ways to make a book. And that is not a message. I feel like that people hear enough because there's so many ways to make a book there's so many ways to make a book yeah make the book in the way that makes the most sense to you otherwise the book's not going to make any sense absolutely and you know there's so many ways how to learn how to write a book there's so many ways to fail writing a book like people i think people are afraid of they're so afraid of you know a misstep early early on when they don't even realize like look, you haven't even like put shoes on. You're not, it's like, there's like, you're not even yeah. in a race yet. Like, don't worry about it. Just start you running. Even bought, you haven't even like yeah. bought the shoes. Yeah. There's no, sh- yeah. Like <laughs> just get going. You're fine. Like, yeah. Walk out the door. <laughs> worry about tripping when you trip. <laughs> right. Like you, whatever. No, but it's true. And I, I love, I love the way that you own and, uh, conceptualize your own process because I feel like oftentimes when it's an approach that is outside the norm, especially if we're just talking about literary fiction, people are sometimes cagey about process and they're cagey about um, aspects of, of just making fiction when really it's really wonderful to hear just a totally different approach. Just plainly i yeah. i will say i mean like part part of that part of and part of my desire to always talk about process like Lindsay, i just i can i really remember the early days of like when when html giant started and just the kind of community that like that everyone was sort of doing there on the internet i mean like it part like so much of it was awful but like some of it was also people showing other writers who were less who had less experience publishing than them like I'll talk to you about your process. I'll talk to you about my process. Here are the books that I think you should read. Here are the books that I like to read. Like it felt at the time, like this community where you could really see how everyone was writing and what they were writing. And I thought always that that was a really beautiful thing. And that at least the, the sort of like ideals of transparency that existed in that thing were, were, was something that should be continued. Yeah. And I feel like it was also this like community where um, like you were showing what you were doing and you were looking at what other, what other people were doing and it just like built what you yeah. felt you could do. Right. Like, it yes. felt, like, Oh shit. Okay. That feels like a dare. 
Yes. That's a dare. That's a challenge. Like, like this is someone recognizing you as a peer. Like this is a, this is like, this is what gives you the courage to keep going. It was really exciting. And it also felt like, um, like people were doing the things that they personally could do. Like what we're, what we're trying to get at with you, Sasha is like, there's this book is what Sasha, you know, like there's, this is like you because it, it's, it's what you do, you know, and that's what feels exciting about it. You know, that's what feels so new about it is that it's not like, it's, it's not trying to be anything that it's not, you know? And it just, it's like it, it, in that way, it feels like, um, risky in like a really fun way. Like I was going to ask you about playfulness. Cause I feel like you're a very playful writer, but I, I didn't know if that felt true to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's so much fun to write. Like, yeah, it's one of the loneliest things in the world. You're locked in a room with your own feelings, like endlessly trying to like navigate them through like other people that you made your feelings into like, but it's but so you're much having fun. fun. Yeah. Like if, if you're like, also, if you're not having fun, like, why would you do this? The money is terrible for all the accolades. Duh. It's like, yeah. And, and there'll never be enough. I'm, I'm here to tell all of you, like, there'll never be enough. No book, no publishing a book will never feel as good as you want it to. No, it never will. Like no amount of praise will ever be enough. It's just not. And though the, like, that's, that's the, like, that's, the vanity that we all carry, but, but literally no, you, you'll never make enough money off of your art to justify continuing to make it. So you just got to keep making it. Does, does the lit scene, whatever the fuck that means, <laughs> does, does people who, uh, <laughs> uh, let's just pause Alex. Let's start this <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back. We'll circle back uh okay words here we go um people who are coming up now who are you know either writing their poems early on or they're you know they're taking a stab at publishing fiction maybe online maybe elsewhere whatever do you think that the the world of that feels very different than when you were coming up you and i are basically the same age sasha and i feel like now it feels incredibly different to me um and I haven't done a good job about articulating what that difference is, but I just, I felt like people who are just coming into writing fiction or writing poetry now, it seems like a harder place to do so than even like 10 years ago. I also feel like, I guess, I guess to me, like, I, I did really start thinking some of that. And then I, I did some like guest editing things and I realized like, Oh, like there's all this stuff that's happening from people that are just way younger than I am. Exactly. And, yeah. and just it's, so we're it's more like, know. we're just, we, yeah, we're not yeah. like, we, we came up thinking that we would always, or at least I came up thinking like, I would always be at this level. I would always be active in my community on the internet and, mm-hmm. and, and wherever. And it's like, you know, I'm not anymore. Cause I'm older. Like I got, I got, I TV got a relationship. I got TV. To, well, I got, got, I got so, many, so many baseball games. There are so many baseball games to watch. Oh, so I, I have a partner I'm, I'm committed to. I've got like an actual job for once in my life. Like there's just a lot. There's just a lot that I got to do. Yeah. Life mm-hmm. happens, man. Yeah. And then, shirt. but then also like as your artistic practice continues, like the amount of it, you, I, it used to be so much easier to write something quickly. And now it's not that it, now it just sort of like, in order to keep moving forward, in order to have the work continue to grow, like it just takes a different amount of time and energy than it used to for me. And I feel like I don't have the additional energy to like spend on the internet in those communities in the way that I used to. And so I think in that way, it's changed for me in that like what I've noticed and I'm around has changed. Right. So I don't know whether it, as a whole has changed. I do know that I and how I interact and consume has changed. Mm, that makes sense. You have a job outside of academia, outside of writing. Is that something that you very consciously pursued and you were like, I want to keep my writing separate from how I make money or was that just kind of how things fell? I mean, I, I was, I was uh, broke working part-time as a nanny and uh, freelance copy that. editing for a year. Oh, it was great. I love that job. Uh, I spent Aww. I spent like three and a half years with those dudes. Uh, 
they were they were they were great kids. I love that. I would I would cook them dinner each night, help them through their homework, take them to baseball practice. It was great. Love those boys. Uh, but you know, I mean, as 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 kids age, they don't they don't need a they don't need someone like hanging out with them all the time anymore. <laughs> so like my hours kept dropping, and then I was just freelancing exists however hard you hustle, and like it sucks. Uh, so just eventually, a friend e- was uh, emailed a bunch of us and was like, "Hey, my office is hiring someone." anyone wants to apply, like, I'll put in a word for you. Uh, so he, my, my, my buddy Joseph got me a job and I was pretty good at it. And it's been a lot of fun. And it's also really great to like, just have this thing that I do during the day that I work at and then I'm done with it and I can come home and not have to think about it. Hmm. What kind of work is it? I do, uh, I work for an architecture firm and I do what we call marketing, but which is basically just like in order to, in order to be able to be hired to design a building, you have to submit a proposal in response to a request for proposal. So I help gather all the materials that are needed for it. I lay it out in InDesign. I work with people to kind of like smooth out the writing and to just sort of plug things in there. And I also do our awards programs. So I write about the buildings that we design and submit them for awards. And that's pretty fun. I love that part of it. That sounds like a great. Yeah, sounds cool. It's great. It's a really fun job. And I, I when I'm when I'm done with it, I go home and I well, and by go home, I mean I, I I leave one room and I go into the other room because I work at home now. <laughs> I leave work Where, room and go to home room. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I leave work room, I go to home room. But the beauty of it is, like, when you're working from home, commuting is it. The more the the one beautiful thing about the pandemic is, I think it taught everyone, like, oh, I lose an hour and a half to two hours of my life to my commute that I'm not paid for or compensated for in any way. Mm-hmm. And people are just like, oh, that's my podcast time. Like, that's 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 two hours of your life that counts as work that belongs to the company that you're not compensated for in any way. So it sucks. Uh, so the beauty of working from home is like, you can start, I can make like a three or four hour dinner on a weeknight. Cause I can just like start it. and like, like tell everyone I need five minutes and I go and I like chop and then I come back and I like check my emails and then I go back and I stir the pot. And it's like, that's, that's great. The beauty that's the dream. Yeah, the beauty of being able to like make dinner and work is, and then be done. It's great. I love it. Four hour dinner. Jesus fucking Christ. So you start at lunch? <laughs> Alex and I eat dinner at four because we have very yeah, fresh children. Yeah, <laughs> two children. No, I, we, we eat at like eight. We eat between like, we eat at like eight, 738. Eight is I good. Like yeah. yeah, no, I'm, wow. What's yeah, your go-to? I, I'm, What's your I'm go-to 37 dinner? and I have no children. <laughs> I eat dinner at eight. I'm like, I'm just, that is art right there. That's art. That's when I'm like 37% asleep at eight o'clock. I can make it to like nine. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm not 37% asleep. I'm just saying that, that that's when, that's when dinner's ready. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite thing to make? Uh, I have not been cooking as much the last year and a half which is oh, so you've been lying to us so jesus christ dude should we just delete all that shit <laughs> no <laughs> i well the the issue is that like so much of what i love to make are like these big warm hearty meals and it's like 78 to 90 degrees out now so like i'm not yeah i'm 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 i rethink things around the summertime like the beauty of like a summertime meal is like oh i'm gonna go get like a, some, some cheese and some cured meat and bread and like make a simple, like, like a light, like lettuce and a few things salad. And then like have some meat and cheese and bread. Cause you don't have to turn the oven on for that. Here's a tip. Any soup can be a gazpacho. You just put ice in it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Any soup can be a gazpacho. If you keep it in the fridge. I knew you were going to say yeah. something so fucked. As soon as you started, I was just like, this is going to be so fucked. Here's a trick. Yeah, everyone. Like, Alex, Alex just like hides his eyes. Yeah. My, actually, my eyes are closed this whole time. And that's just the, thing that's the only way to do it. Yeah. When I, when I podcast, my eyes are closed. Yeah. Alex told me recently that he is shocked and surprised every week that he has a podcast. <laughs> Listen, I meant that. I was not kidding. 
I know. <laughs> I know. And it's beautiful. Um, Sasha, what's next? I'm very slowly starting to work on a no novel. <gasps> yeah. I, yep. Okay. That's all you have to say. I'm not going to. Yeah. Ask. Yeah. Do you feel no, good about I'm, it though? Or are you like, are you like, I'm, in I'm it? pumped. I'm pumped. That's awesome. I like, I, I, nice. I, 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 again, designed like a stupid structure for it. And in the middle of the night, I like shook Alex. And I'm like, Allie, Allie, are you awake? And she's like, absolutely not. I'm like, can, I, can I tell you about this idea that's going to like fix the book? She's like, you can like, I, I'm asleep. I'm not listening. To you. So I, I told her and it was perfect. And like in the morning, I was like, do you remember what I said to you? And she was like, sure. But tell me again. And I did. And she's like, oh, that's a good idea. That'll work. <laughs> she's like, yeah, I remember. But uh but you don't probably don't remember. So tell me again. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's exciting. We're excited for you. We're excited for this book. We love you. We Yay. Love uh, Ben's down here. Do you want to say anything to Sasha? He's looking at the Peloton. Ben is about to fucking rip up that Peloton. No, no, he already did. He's he's not doing one now. He's Ben he's doesn't have anything to say to me because both the Phillies and the doll won. So he can't hurt me. Oh my Ugh. God. He knows you so well, honey. He said you can't say anything because both the Phillies and the doll won, so you can't oh hurt him. God. He still cares about he said, Oh god, he still cares about Nadal. <laughs> the best is that he just muttered it. I heard that mutter. Yeah, he's just he's walking around you in tell his Tell him I love that balding man. I love that balding rich Spaniard. Nadal's balding? Oh my god, yeah. Really? Yeah, no offense to Rafa. He's gotta get the but- Agassi wig. But oh no, he's not. He's not getting. He's not getting the wig. It's not. He. It's. It's thinning. It's thinning. Okay. All right. It's thinning. Is 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 his. But his shorts get shorter louder. every year. So like his thighs. The shorts are getting keep, shorter. Okay. His thighs keep growing. His his hair keeps thinning. It's a beautiful. Short shorts thing. are good. That's this is one That's thing the way I to go. Listen, if, if it's longer than a five inch inseam, it's ungodly. Sasha, like, Ben just bought his first five inch. <laughs> our knees were meant. Our knees were made to breathe. Like I, I've got beautiful legs, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna show them off. Wait, let's. You know what? Let's talk about. Let's talk about clothes real quick. Please. You have, you have a thing against sweatpants, and I just. I don't I like them. Oh just, my god. What's wow. the sweatpants? What about joggers? Thing? What about joggers? So here's the thing. I, uh, I don't, I don't trust soft clothing that much. Um, I, I like a structure. Would... Yeah. Hmm. Tough guy. I wouldn't say that. I would say that I'm someone who has a very hard time relaxing. <laughs> and I'm just trying to be honest with myself. So you oh, sit man. at your home in your in your office room, in your work room, in jeans? Yeah, uh, they've got a lot of spandex in them. They're very they're made to stretch. Okay. Oh, dude. So wow, you're so close though. You just traumatized I mean, Ben. You've got spandex in the Finally, jeans. I found you're the way so to hurt Ben. Cool. You're so close to sweatpants. Uh, I don't. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't trust it. I don't trust the way it makes me feel when I wear it. It makes you feel too good. You don't trust that feeling. I'm wearing that. Could be it. That could be it. I'm not going to name the feeling. I'm just saying that the way that it makes me feel, I don't trust it. That's all I want to say. Like, like we all do. Like you're slowly giving up. (laughs) I have. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to throw in that towel yet. (laughs) I mean, you're getting married pretty soon, right? Once you get married, I just. I need you to get some sweatpants. She's gonna buy them for me and try to get me to wear them, and I'm. It's we're gonna fight about it, and I don't want to fight feeling. with her. It is the best feeling, and you know you can get some like better and smarter than I am, and I just don't. I just don't want to wear sweatpants. Get some like <laughs> oh. fitted jersey joggers, because those motherfuckers will choke your ankle, and you will be so miserable, and that that will speak to you. They're gonna <laughs> choke your ankle out. You're gonna be like, yes, this is the pain I deserve. But I, my knees are comfortable. Oh, Lindsay, my waist you is know me. Oh, you know me. You've seen me. You've looked into my soul. Ben said he wants shorts so short you can't see him because his t-shirt goes past. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want that too. I need to wear bigger t-shirts so I can do that. Like it's the 90s. Yeah. And then everyone can see my cool thigh tattoo. You have a thigh tattoo? Oh, yeah. It says I get so emotional. Oh, my God, Sasha. That's so you. That's yeah, perfect. right. Wow. Well, on that note, we love you and um, go forth to your lie of a dinner. How was your week?
my week was good. I finished reading Invisible Child. It was amazing. Highly recommend oh, it. It was incredible. And um, and then I started reading um, Isle McElroy's book, The Atmospherians, which I hadn't read yet. Great book. And Isle's coming on next week. Yeah. I'm going to talk to them. And I really love it at the sentence level. It is such a pleasure um, as I, I texted you that. And um, totally. So I'm having a lot of fun with that. And that's about it. My kids are like in their last week of school. And it's like, oddly, there's a million things to do in the last week. There's like all these little events they have. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then we're leaving the day school ends to drive to North Carolina for a week. So no way. A lot. yeah, we're going to go visit my family. That's awesome. Get it over with, you know? <laughs> yeah. My whole family lives in North Carolina, but we haven't been out there to visit any of them because it was kind of happened all right before the pandemic but yeah my whole family's in charlotte it's crazy um well love you jamie if you're listening um but yeah i'm excited to have isle on because i this must be the first book that we've had on where i read an early draft um isle's a friend and it was, it was really cool to see how that book progressed. And then the reception was so positive. It was neat to, to see that because I had not had that experience of reading a friend's book and then having it get published and then raved about. That was unique. I feel like I'm, I'm sure you've had that experience. I read The Grip of It by Jack Gems. Oh, of course. Yeah. In one of those drafts. And and she read Eat Only When You're Hungry. And we gave each other some notes. So that's awesome. Yeah. And then The Grip of It blew up. Um, I feel like so. it's having a long life. That yeah. Book. I feel like it's kind of continuing, continuing to pop up. Um, it's a great book. It's structured love so brilliantly. Book? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those ones you can kind of hand to anybody. Um, yep. For sure. Yeah. And then I didn't, I'll just sell another book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Can't wait to talk about that with them. Yeah. They announced it, I think only like maybe a week ago or something. So that that'll be really fun to talk about because kind of an interesting middle period in their publishing life, you know, like yeah. kind of an interesting time. So it's wild. For sure. Totally. Um. Yeah. That's about it just watching stranger things and living has it been good you know it's way too fat like they should have trimmed a lot Mm. but like the heart of it i still very much love and i'm here for right but i watched the first season and then we bailed wow is that a long time ago i don't even know like no is that like right before you guys had your first kid i don't know i honestly don't know okay i'm sorry yeah i've loved every single season but this season oh, cool. feels like that they're this season feels like they're trying to like um like do everything and they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't really need to so oh well i saw a clip of millie bobby brown and one of the guys on the show like at some junket thing and they were talking about how if they don't get married by the time they're 40 they're going to marry each other and it was the best clip ever because the guy was like, <laughs> you could tell that some part of him thought it was going to happen. Oh. And she was like, yeah, but we'll have different rooms and we're not going to sleep together. Completely platonic. And, uh, and he was like, yeah. <laughs> oh. I was just like, dude, oh. what the fuck is wrong with you? Also uh, depressing that like 40s, the cutoff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm 42 over here, but you know. Yeah, but whatever. you're also married. That's true. I've been, yeah, Ben and I are celebrating our 13th wedding anniversary on June 13th. That's amazing. And then on July 8th, it'll be 20 years we've been together. That's amazing. So then we're going to file for divorce that day. <laughs> right. That very day, right? And then you guys are going to go full, you know, buy shorts together. You already do that. Yeah, you already do that. <laughs> Yeah, I love shorts. I'm I'm here for shorts. After a oh, lifetime God. of living in Florida and refusing to wear shorts because I was too like punk rock and goth. Oh man. Um, I've fully so, embraced shorts. I'm so far past that. I I dress like your fucking drunk divorced <laughs> uncle 
who was nice to you when you were a kid and now you're not sure if he loves you anymore. That's what oh, no. I look like. Okay, that guy definitely has a catchphrase. What's your catchphrase? Get fucked. <laughs> that was better than I was going to be. <laughs> okay goodbye bye bud (laughs) i'm a writer but is recorded by alex hickley and me Lindsay hunter in our respective basements editing by Lindsay hunter music by max loop yay